Welcome to the Defense and Airspace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Muradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. Today, part three of our six-part series on multi-domain command and control, sponsored by Ultra Intelligence and Communications. It's my honor and pleasure to welcome on the program today, United States Air Force Brigadier General Jeff Spaniard Valencia, the Advanced Battle Management System Cross-Functional Team Lead at Air Force Headquarters. Sir, a pleasure having you on the program. Thanks so very much for making time and joining us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And before we get started, Leonardo DRS and HII sponsor our global coverage. Fortress Information Security sponsors our weekly cyber report. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our strategy coverage. Ultra Intelligence and Communications sponsors our command and control coverage. And GE Aerospace Uh, sponsors our air and naval coverage. This is one of uh, the Pentagon's most important uh, programs. It is uh, a priority, but we have been working to try to get to a nirvana state on this, uh, understanding that each one of the services challenges are different, right? The Army's challenges are different from the Navy's as the Air Force's as the Marine Corps. Uh, And we're trying to figure out a way of the most appropriate way to create this structure. Uh, The J-6 uh, is working on uh, an approach uh, you're working on an approach uh, as well in sort of a coalition of the willing uh, to try to uh, sharpen thinking and to try to get to the end state, uh, the nirvana state that everybody wants uh, to, to get to. Uh, walk us through what you guys uh, are doing. And I should also note, right, you just came back from uh, a conference at Nellis uh, with uh, our allies uh, and partners who are asking many of these same questions. And the great thing about the program in its current iteration is we're bringing our friends aboard uh, as well not to create interoperability gaps. Walk us through sort of the latest on what the thinking is and how you guys are going to be influencing through this coalition of the willing the, the ultimate place that we as a, as, as a nation and as an alliance end up with this capability. Yeah, Baga, thanks for the question. So there's a, there's a lot to unpackage there. So, you know, first of all, we, we get our marching orders from uh, the National Defense, the National Security Strategy, National Defense Strategy, which gives us the imperatives. And the Secretary of the Air Force has been very clear on where he expects us to focus. We nest our efforts within the Joint Staff's JADC2 um, strategy and implementation plan and, and then helping as they, they craft out the uh, campaign plan. And our role is, is to look at how do we execute what the leadership is telling us that uh, our imperatives are. And, and we do so really by a cooperative effort with, as you put it, the Coalition of the Willing, working at the component level with our joint and coalition partners to um, deliver warfighting capability. Now I'll say uh, maybe a slight nuance to what you laid out is each of the services have their subtleties of, of how in the component or excuse me, the domain of which they fight in that adds some uniqueness to those subtleties. However, everybody in the role of command and control is struggling with the same problem set. And it isn't that we need to drive towards a solution set that is specific to a component, specific to a domain. In fact, what we've created is a single methodology on what that command and control needs to look like. I want to dig into that uh, because uh, I I think that that's the right way to look at it. Actually, they're not different. It's the same questions that we need to be asking and answering 
And then that is what unlocks the door to getting to the right outcome. And I want to, um, you know, one of the things we're going to talk about a lot here is cognition and how do we right. need to think in that cognitive space with systems that are going to be automatically cueing you. But let me f- let you finish the point before going to that sort of specific, like what is the question we need to be answering or the questions we need to be answering? Yeah. And I'll, I'll introduce the notion you said, hey, what is, you know, what does this end look like? What what is what does Nirvana look like? And I'll, I'll say there is no end if we do this right. So what did what are we proposing is the approach that we should champion? This is about warfighting. We need to understand the warfighting imperatives. We need to understand the complications that our warfighters are confronting against an adversary who's very well prepared to take us on in the places of which we're strong. As we start to develop and understand a sophisticated understanding of the warfighting imperatives we're trying to get after, we can then go look for are there technological aids, and, and you just talked about the cognitive domain, are there technological aids that can improve the performance of our warfighting to give us a better outcome if we're put in a position that we have to fight one of our adversaries, China being where we're focused today. If we do that correctly, then this becomes an iterative process of a constant improvement. But what we have to disavow is this love affair that we have with chasing the technology first and then trying to back it into the warfighting. And so the approach when we start talking about the development of a coalition of the willing is let's go after the warfighting elements of it and then let's work into the technologies. So what are the core warfighting elements that we need to bear in mind, right? Because uh, this becomes a, well, the Army's got a lot of uh, radios, and so this is a radio connection uh, issue, right? I mean, again, a technological issue. Uh, you know, the, the Navy has fewer radios than the Air Force. You know, what, how, how, what are the warfighting imperatives that need to be sa- uh, shaping this, the questions okay. we need to be answering? Yeah, I'll, I'll give them to you. There's eight. Okay. So one of the warfighting imperatives is how we plan. Another is how we execute the functions of command. The next is how we then implement the direction of the commander through battle management. Then we also have to look at our sensing and ability to understand our environment. We need to look at the intelligence process, which makes sense of the data and information of which we've collected. Then we have to look at our access to data and the ability to compute data and where we need to compute it. Then we need to look at our ability to share that data through connections. And then we need to look at how it manifests itself in the execution. So this is actually delivering an effect on the adversary in order to meet the commander's design or the commander's intent. So you have to bound it. So if you want to ask me, hey, Spaniard, what is command and control and what is not command and control? Command and control is the functions of planning, commanding, and battle managing end. It is not connectivity. It is not data access, intelligence, sensing, and execution. Now, it's all eight of those that I just laid out are interdependent and interact, and no one of them exists without consideration of the controls, resources, inputs, and outputs of the other seven. But what we have to do is we have to bound and understand the solution space of which we're pursuing so that we can look at what is the warfighting delivery or the warfighting change that we're trying to generate. And as you uh, look at this, right, that first, um, 
you know, the, each each of the services uh, is both informing, drawing from, and doing their own plans, right? And we've seen uh, shifting coalitions uh, in this, right? I mean, the Air Force and the Army were together. The Navy was somewhat apart. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, General Highnote uh, has done some terrific diplomacy uh, in uh, the, the process of sort of bringing folks together. Uh, to try to uh, harvest the goodness that everybody is working on. It looks like the Air Force and the Navy are working much better uh, together. It looks like the Army is is now moving sort of and doing a little bit more of its own thing. From an inner service standpoint, what are what are the things everybody is drawing from one another in this process to help us get to a to a um, a better place? Yeah, so here's where we're seeing some um, unbelievable alignment that is allowing us to get to the point where we are defining the operational requirements with a high degree of specificity. First of all, is we're getting alignment on foundationally, what is it that we're trying to deliver to the warfighting? One of those principles of the foundation is how you bound or define command and control and what is not command and control. The second is we're becoming um, incredibly devoted to using a, uh, a best practice from industry on using mission engineering in order to describe the functional relationships that take place within each of those eight functions and between each of those eight functions. And using a rule-based system gives us the ability to have something that is objective, it's defensible, it's describable on how we're going to go forward on delivering whether it's a new tactic, it's a new tool, it's a new technology. Third, is we've come into an alignment on how we're gonna contextualize the problem. And this cannot be understated. One of the challenges that we witnessed over the last couple of years as I've been a part of this movie is everybody was contextualizing the problem they were trying to solve differently. And this is this is echoed in your statement with Secretary Kendall and his frustration when he joined this, this movie in 2001 or 2021. And, and so what you're seeing now is we're seeing this alignment on that contextualization of the problem which allows us to now do the fourth is we now have a concept of operations for command and control. Because we are aligned in those four blocks, what we call a rules-based approach to performance delivery, each time we, we join another coalition or joint partner, we're all beginning from the same dugout. And this is what has allowed us to grow rapidly. But don't let me overstate the nature of the commitment from all of our partners because they are not all equal. We do have an unbelievable commitment and alignment between the U.S. Air Force, U.S. Space Force, and the Navy. We have a very rapidly growing alignment with the Marine Corps and, and the Army. But it's grown more than that. We have now partnered with the U.K., Australia, New Zealand, Canada, we're about to onboard Japan, Germany, NATO, and now France is even asking us to become a part of this approach. So, so Baga, when you ask me, go, what is this approach? What does it mean to be committed? It means that a partner commits to this rules-based approach to performance delivery, which is heavily dependent upon an agreed upon rule set, contextualization, a same concept, and this is how we start moving forward. Um, I want to uh, take you to the cognitive space because that's the one uh, that cross-cuts all of this. Um, right now, you know, people watch movies and I know I'm going to ask patients or the audience because I, I say this often, 
you know, we, we watch these movies and folks are at keyboards and satellites are moving and things are happening. And that's not really how things work uh, in a, in a chaos or anywhere else. There is a lot of automation, but there's a lot of manual. There are a lot of folks on phones. Um, folks are confirming before something gets hit. It's, it, it is not an automated process. We are looking to harness AI uh, and especially in a hypersonics world where things will be moving and advantage will be counted in seconds. We're gonna have to delegate authority how are we thinking in the cognitive space? Because that changes how we think, how we strike, how we plan, what it is we hand off, what the rules are uh, within these systems, right? Where, where, where allies and partners will develop systems, we want there to be a common set of ground rules in them. How do we need to be thinking in the cognitive space? And how do we need to think differently about cognition, about trust, what we delegate, how we delegate it? Um, and, you know, and, and then there's right, there's a mission command con right. So it's not only delegating to the machines, it's also how we delegate to the other human beings in this system, given that, you know, it's, it's, it, we have tended toward control as opposed to, uh, a greater autonomy, which we realize we need in, in, in what's going to be a very interactive, fast moving battle space. Uh, Vago, we could launch a mini series to to fully unpackage that question because you, you got a deal on that Spaniard, by the way. So I mean, if you want to come <laughs> on and you want to you want to drop your uh, drop a you know sink wells all over this uh, to tap the goodness, I'm very happy to do that. You're pushing on an open door on that one. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna lily pad what you just laid out, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna hit on just a couple points. So. The first thing is, is we got to get more precise on AI. There, there is a there. When you talk to people in this community, it, it, the the precision of which they look at AI or how you develop these algorithms to aid in the the transformational activities that take place in warfare is very very sophisticated. The commoner tends to look at AI the way that you characterize it, as we reflected in the movies. We, our needle sits in the camp of the precision of the use of the terms. So what we're looking at today, we're looking at two elements of what you would kind of loosely characterize as AI. Number one, algorithmic aided decisions. What we've created is we've created a, a model-based systems engineering description of the transformations that happen when a battle manager makes a dynamic decision in war. What's a dynamic decision? I woke up that day to do one thing, and I was well prepared to do that one thing, but the adversary has forced me to do something different. Therefore, I'm having to make up the plan on the fly. When, when an, a battle manager does that, because we've de described it with such detail, we know exactly where you can apply an algorithm to do the job better than a human. Let me get more specific. Let's say that a target makes itself available in, in, um, in the course of executing that day's mission. And the commander has said, if you see that target, I need you to take that target out. Well, there's actually a nuance. When you see that target, I only have a limited set of tools available to me to, to, to quote, take that target out. Mm -hmm. How I decide what I want in order to achieve the commander's intent is actually very well delegated down to an algorithm that can do a table lookup to look at intent and, and projected outcome and can deliver that to the warfighter. I don't need a warfighter trying to manually pick through that. Here's the second element when we tend to think of AI, which is machine to machine communication. To your point, 
our current processes are manpower intensive. We've studied these, we've measured them, we know exactly where they exist. And we can simply have one machine recognizes when a criteria hits and it can move that data to another machine. I don't have the time and the error latency that happens when I have a human do it. Okay, next thing I wanna kind of unpackage. We can go really far into that piece, but the next thing is context matters. In integrated air and missile defense, I can set up a system that allows for a very rapid closure from a detection of an inbound threat, the characterization of that inbound threat, the matching to the optimal delivery um, vehicle in order to, to reduce the probability of that inbound threat success. I can do that and I can continue to improve that down to the microseconds. But I will tell you that that is an incredibly important mission, but actually only characterizes about 1% of when we start talking about dynamic decision-making. The vast majority of what we're looking at is not simplified in the integrated air and missile defense context. I could unpackage that one to a great deal of detail, but I'll move to the last one. The power of heuristics. We had to look at and bring decision science into how we understand decision advantage or decision um, superiority. And you have to look at how an institution makes decisions, which an institution makes decisions, which is largely looking how it can manage risk to how a human makes decisions, which reflects in how a human can manage the presence of uncertainty. And what we had to do is put into the system a way in which the human has the ability to intervene into the system because it is impossible for us to develop the algorithms to imagine all permutations that a human and an experienced human can understand, make sense of, and then make a decision based upon it. So when you get into our models and you start looking at the introduction of I'll just kind of generically say AI type of aids, it's far more sophisticated and nuanced than we're just going to have war where we hit play and then hit stop and there's much rejoicing. <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, both. Uh, that's very funny, uh, actually. And it's uh, reminiscent of Heather Penny. I uh, uh, cite her work all the time of the Mitchell yes. Institute and her pixie yep. dust. I just submit everybody who's wearing a uniform or is a senior civilian has to read that to have an understanding of AI, what AI is, what it's not. And it's not just pixie dust that you can sprinkle on things and make all your problems go away. Um, right. You know, there were two things, uh, Spaniard, that you said that I want to sort of, you know, and, and you open the door for those. And I'm, I'm uh, you know, I can unpack those. Uh, and it, they were uh, unpack both of those points that you said, I can unpack those, right? Because I think that the audience, uh, there's, um, you know, to, to avoid misunderstanding, but also the granularity with which you guys are trying to break down the problems that need solving, right? The, the questions that need to be answering. I'm a big fan right. of Andy Marshall's. Uh, he was an intellectual mentor and I considered him a friend. Uh, and his whole point in life was, you have to get the question right. And if you don't get the question right, the, an you know, the, the, you, you won't get the right answer. Uh, you know, asking the question, and I'm a, I grew up, and my academic experience um, instilled that principle into me heavily. One of the frustrations that I run into being a part of this movie now for two and a half years is I'm getting tired of us asking questions. 
and and it's time it's time to pick the question and develop the answer and right. and this is what we've done is is we put an anchor into the ground and said i'm i'm not going to solve everybody's permutation of a national security crisis I, i'm not going to try to to throw a bunch of technology at it what i'm going to do is i'm going to set a couple sets of rules I'm going to contextualize it. I'm going to build a concept and then I'm going to build to that concept. So I will tell you that when you look at what we're building right now, it is contextualized to the Indo-PACOM theater. Right. Does that mean it will not work in other theaters? I don't know. Why do I not know? Because I've studied it deeply in the context of Indo-PACOM. Now, we do work with the other theaters, obviously Homeland Defense, obviously the, the strategic um, global mission, cyber, and, and all these other complexities matter deeply to us. But we had to just fix some variables and move out. And, and that's what we've done. Um, I, I want to go to the uh, unpacking, uh, right? Uh, you sure. said uh, one was uh, about AI and how to use uh, AI um, and and where to use it and you know machine machine and machine learning and all the things that go along with that and the right. and the other one was how to contextualize the data and you've said that a, a couple of times let's let's first start with uh, the AI problem and I think that it's really interesting uh, and, and then we can talk about the contextualization issue but but talk to sure. us about the uh, you know how it is we need to be thinking about that AI piece. Okay, uh, so let, let's you know start breaking this down into the elements. What is really happening within warfare? Uh, the, at the core of warfare is is a transformation. I'm trying to make a series of transformations. For example, I want to transform that airplane that is flying and has a bomb on it to that airplane is no longer flying and that bomb was never employed. That's a transformation. Um, I want to transform that commander who has great awareness of their environment, the red commander, the bad guy, and I want them to have um, less awareness of their environment. I'm going to make a transformation. If I back that up even further and I get into command and control, command and control is actually the transformation of data into information, information into knowledge, and then we use that knowledge to direct an action. When we start talking about the application of algorithmic aids, we're looking for algorithmic aids that are going to help us initially transform data into information. Meaning, can I develop an algorithm that's going to take a, a disparate set of data that otherwise right now lives in its own stovepipe? So I might have um, militarily collected data. Maybe I have commercially collected data. Maybe I have publicly available information or open intelligence source collected data. Can I have an algorithm that's going to bring those together in order to deliver information that provides a decision maker an insight they otherwise may not have had? That would be an algorithmic aid that we would apply into the decision making process. Now, is that AI? I, I don't know if I would take it that far, but it's definitely mm -hmm. the application of, of an algorithm to, to help to improve a decision. Does that, does that help to illustrate that? Uh, it does. Uh, it does. Um, and and about contextualization, right? Um, right? Explain to the audience what exactly that means. And what's interesting is uh, that, you know, when we talk about speed of decision making, right, in a hypersonic world, it's interesting that you're reminding the audience what set that's for, right? Air and missile defenses is where you will want that automaticity uh, and where the human is taking a subordinate role, whereas consistent throughout this 
actually the role of the human in what it is that we're trying to achieve is actually quite high. Talk to us about contextualization and what that actually means for the layperson. And the second okay. piece is how it is, right, that we don't, we don't want to shape everything with the lesser included case, right, as opposed to what most, how most people are going to be using this. Don't, don't get so myopically focused on, yes, on air and missile defenses, stuff is going to go off automatically. Hey, by the way, you know, note to self, we already sort of do that. Uh, with some of our missile defense systems anyway, right? So it's not necessarily right. as big of a leap. Go ahead. It's it's not that novel. Okay, so um, you have to look at the variables that a commander will manipulate as they delegate out or task out different mission elements. So in the integrated air and missile defense, you, if you would take the integrated air and missile defense and just look at it in a systems level engineering, it is a series of sensors that are pre-allocated in order to look for a certain category or type of threat. It's a series of weapons that are pre-allocated and put into a weapons ready state so that they can have the highest probability of success against the anticipated threat. And it's a preset of engagement instructions or a contract that if the sensor detects and reports this type of threat, then I want that weapon to affect that outcome, whether it's increased miss distance, whether it's a kinetic kill, whatever the case may be, to, to achieve commander's intent. This is all predetermined, pre-allocation of those three things, the sensing resources, the engagement resources, and the ROE, and it's just waiting for that criteria to hit. This is foundationally different than the vast majority of the decisions that we're preparing for. When we are conducting military operations, oftentimes our battle managers are, are um, confronted with ambiguous information or they're confronted with more priorities than they have resources in order to allocate. Here's a very difficult decision that you can that is very difficult to automate. If, if I have two aircraft that I believe are both presented with some sort of weapon, that holds our forces at risk, and I have one tool to intercept those two aircraft, which aircraft should I hit? That is an unbelievably sophisticated decision that we cannot assume that we're going to pre-imagine all the circumstances that might value one aircraft over the other. Right. Here's another one that's very commonly confronted in, in actual execution of warfare. I'm presented with a target. So let's say a surface-to-surface -surface, um, threat is now reported through our intelligence sources. So I found it. I fixed it. I'm tracking it. Now I have to target it. I look at my available weapons that I have to, to achieve commander's intent on that. And my best available weapon happens to be the most sophisticated weapon that I have typically and the one that I have the fewest of. So do I want to spend that round, that sophisticated round on this particular target? That's a really sophisticated answer to come up with. For example, what is within the threat realm of that target? Do, do I have a capital ship within the threat realm of that target and that's a viable target? Well, then the exquisite solution is, is likely the better solution. In fact, do I maybe not have a lot that is, is highly vulnerable right now? So I, I can use a lesser effector that maybe has a lower probability of success, or I need to, to use more of them. 
so, so there's all these sophistications of what's really happening when we're looking at command and control against a really well-prepared adversary that just isn't simply captured in the, I need decisions to happen within microseconds. So this is why I would say that context really matters when you start looking at the application of aids for command and control. What are some of the lessons you're learning uh, from Ukraine, uh, right? Because scarcity of resources, magnitude of threat, uh, right? I mean, all of these are playing in a real-time uh, basis if you're a Ukrainian commander in terms of what are the assets uh, you're, you're using and how. You're using shaheds to uh, complicate the environment. It It's a distraction. And then you use, uh, whether it's a hypersonic or, or cruise missile, uh, as the Russians are effectively doing to sort of oversaturate. What are the lessons you're learning from, from Ukraine that are maybe helping refine our own thinking to improve our capability uh, and, and approaches? Don't build rigidity into the system because we believe we can imagine all the potential applications or scenarios of which that, that capability would be applied. And in, in what we learn routinely is the adaptations from our adversary and the adaptations from our warfighters um, with, without exception, exceed the imagination of the war planners and the, and the technology developers who are, are doing this at zero knots and 1G. So if we're going to build a system that has that um, agility within it, we, we have to get away from delivering systems that are fully integrated. This here, plug this particular box in and all your magic is going to happen. We have to build these systems in a transparent layered approach, taking an industry best practice that we understand how each of those layers interact left, right, up one, down one, so that we can very rapidly modify them in execution as for sure the war is going to be different than we imagine it. Let me ask a a follow-up to that, right? But going back to the cognitive space, um, how do we need to change how we train folks, uh, (laughs) right? And right, because you're saying that we have to contextualize the challenge. We've got to think differently about how we're approaching this. Uh, some of this stuff is, by the way, a blast right to the past, and it's called leadership, uh, right, uh, at the at the end of the day, and mission command and delegation of authority. So we got used to very long screwdrivers that we could plug into the back of Spaniard's head and be like, I, I need you to go five degrees to the left, right? That's Which just is not going to work in the environment that right. we're going into, right? Um, so how is it we need to get to change how we train people, prepare people, um, right, so that they are mentally equipped for this, the, 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 the combat space that we're going to be inhabiting. And then I have uh, the last question, which is about what you want from industry. These are also a couple topics that are ripe for, for deep dive. So let's, um, we ran an experiment. I don't know if you know this, but, but we could not find any place where the function of battle management had ever been um, measured in, in a controlled environment where we could establish some baseline performance parameters. So we did one. Mm-hmm. And our preliminary insights were incredible. For example, air battle managers are really good at problems that lend themselves to air solutions. Air battle managers are less so good when they are confronted with problems that require all domain solutions. 
we're going to repeat this experiment with our coalition and joint partners because mm-hmm. I, our, our suspicion is, is this is true across other domains. And, and this shows that it's not that they're not capable of being all domain. We just don't train them. It's not inherent in their training to be all domain. The other point I want to riff on, which is, um, you know, a blast to the past. Um, if, if you really want to go back and open up the history books on when was the last time we tried to do this, which this I would characterize as how do we improve joint and combined operations, it was 1957 when the U.S. Army um, did the Pentomic Division Initiative, which looked at an organizational approach to improved combined arms. We repeated it in 1982 with air land battle, only this time we tried to solve the problem with doctrine. We repeated again in 2010 with air sea battle, this time we tried to solve it with the integration of weapons and platforms. Here today, we're trying to solve the exact same problem, but we're doing it through the lens of command and control. So we, we are not pioneers in how we're trying to find an answer to improve combined and joint operations. This just is today's solution set, which is enabled by the transformation into the information age, the availability of data, the commercial telecom um, uh, industry explosion, and, and, and on and on for the factors that have pointed us here. Uh, let me ask you uh, one last question. It's about uh, industry and what do you need and want from industry. Um, you know, there's yeah. been a, a lot of uh, frustration on the part of industry, right? Hey, there are all these experimentations and all we do is experiment and we're not getting there. Um, there is one side that says, hey, you know, have industry solve the problems for us. Uh, and then there's your approach, which is, hey, look, these are the things we need solving. So, right? so what is it you want from industry? Yeah, uh, it's to in help the middle. You? Right. Okay, so here's here's what we want. We want transparency and habitual interaction in a very iterative way. How are we doing that? Um, first, the model-based systems engineering depiction of battle management is actually, we already released it to industry back in October. We gave them 60 days to give us a, uh, a response to help us to make it better. They did. We got 32 responses that came back to us and, and helped us to make it better. And we are now inputting those responses and we're going to release this model out in cameo which is an industry recognized standard for model-based systems engineering so that they know what we know second we're bringing industry in in the middle of february and for those who have a security clearance and a validated need to know because they're in this space we are going to show them the war plans we're going to show them the concept of operations And so what we want industry to do is we want them to understand where we are and we want them to be active involvement in the development of where we can go. This is a departure from writing a requirement with KPPs and KSAs and us pre-imagining what those performance parameters are and instead gets into the more habitual interactive relationship. We're also enabling this by investing in our battle lab, our, our, um, our experimentation, digital experimentation environments. And for the US Air Force, we use the Shadow Operations Center at Nellis as our primary, but that is one of many battle labs where we wanna create these environments that we can put our developers with our warfighters and we can execute this in, in a very rapid fashion. We've done the proof of concepts with it. It works great. We're about to launch our next instantiation of it. And and we're hoping through this transparent cooperative relationship, we can start driving this uh, operational 
um, or the development of these uh, solution sets in a, in a lot more comprehensive and sustainable way. Last question. I have to ask this. So how does what you're doing uh, and your coalition's work merge with what, and right, what's the merge point here with what J6 uh, is, is working as you look down, right? And what's the timetable and the mechanisms you guys have set up? Uh, because, uh, because, you know, clearly you're, all you guys are doing work and they're doing their thing. How, how do these two roads sort of intersect uh, to get us? Uh, and, 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 and when does it intersect in order to get us to where it needs to be? Because what, you're, what you guys are doing is ex- extremely, not just intellectually exciting, right? It's, it, is, uh, it really does chart a, a future and is getting buy-in from a lot of folks to try to get us to a goal that has been so far somewhat elusive, and I'm trying to be charitable in how I characterize this. So, um, so, so imagine the the picture of merging. Um, w- if you looked at us from a top-down perspective, it's it's indistinguishable. We're completely nested with the joint staff. We operate based upon their framework, based upon what they call key operational problems. And we nest specifically within those key operational problems. And then we're very interactive with them on our progress. Now, if you looked at us in a plan form or a three-dimensional view, what you would see is you see our trajectory. We, we just go very deep. We go very deep into the details. And then what we do is we interact with the joint staff and so that they can understand, first of all, ensure that we remain on track. And second, they look at the scalability or the enterprise implications of what we're asking for. So ours, ours is we will take you down to the one foot level perspective where we, the joint staff tends to stay at about the 10 to 20,000 foot um, perspective. Um, but I would say that there isn't any divergent in, um, in where we're headed and, and where they're asking us to go. Spaniard, thanks so very much for being so generous with your time. As I said, you have a come on anytime uh, card uh, and certainly would love to drill deep uh, into uh, a lot of these these issues. I mean, I think that they are uh, really uh, at the heart of uh, some of the challenges. And again, I mean, to channel General Goldfein, he was talking about this a long time ago. Uh, Another shout out to General Dave Deptula, uh, somebody who's been talking about this for uh, a very long time. Uh, as well in terms of doing it. And again, leaders from all of the services that have talked about the importance of, uh, of getting to this uh, uh, nirvana as well. Uh, thanks so very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. And again, look forward to having you back on again soon. Thanks so much. No, thank you.